the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Welcome back to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Michael English, and today we're going to be discussing vaping and e-cigarettes. So to give you some background information on vaping, according to 2018 data, one in five high school students and one in 20 middle school students currently use e-cigarettes. And in December 18, 2018, the U.S. Surgeon General declared e-cigarette use among adolescents an epidemic. So clearly a big issue. And today we have Dr. Sheila Gerdmiller to uh, discuss vaping e-cigarettes with us today. Why don't you go on ahead and uh, introduce yourself? Yes, hello, I'm Sheila Gerdemiller. Thank you for having me. I work at the Drug and Poison Information Center, also called the Poison Control Center. I've been here since 1995. I'm a pharmacist and clinical toxicologist and drug abuse prevention specialist. The Drug and Poison Center is proudly a part of Cincinnati Children's. And we take calls for about half the population of Ohio, from the public, healthcare professionals, teachers, really anyone who calls us regarding patients. We take both exposure calls and information calls. And I work on the 24-7 hotline, but I'm also our clinical educator, so I do some teaching and training, and I'm doing some outreach as well. I help write some of our blogs here at Children's, and I've written three blogs on the topic at hand today. So... First thing I want to know, I said we're on here today to talk about vaping and e-cigarettes. Are those the same thing? So it's all basically referring to the same type of device, yes. So no matter the shape or size that they come in, basically they're all referring to the same type of device that heats up a liquid that becomes aerosolized and is meant to be inhaled. So vaping is basically the act of using an electronic cigarette or e-cigarette and it's inhaled and subsequently exhaled. So in my mind, the image that comes is, you know, someone's walking by and they have this like cloud puff, you know, above them. So while we refer to it as vaping, it's technically not vapors at all, but rather an aerosol because a vapor just means something is in its vapor form. So for example, water vapor is just water in its vapor form. Whereas this is more of an aerosol because it is a suspension of things, of materials in a gas. So it's really technically an aerosol, but I guess saying aerosolizing is not as smooth, but so we call it vaping. And I think for purposes of this podcast, we'll you know, refer to it as vaping because that's what people know it as. Okay. Now, I noticed that you pointed out that, hey, these are not vapors. This is an aerosol, which sounds a lot more intimidating and dangerous. So no wonder it's being referred to as vaping. Um, can you tell me a bit about what makes it so dangerous? Well, there has a lot of different um, ingredients in it. None of them are really, you know, meant to be inhaled. So it can have things like nicotine. That's usually the number one reason why these products are used. And nicotine is an addictive substance. It's a toxic substance. And it can have things like additives, flavors, um, Flavors are really big with these products and is usually the number two reason why these products are used. And it can have a lot of additives, things like propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin. 
which are food additives that are safe to eat, but not so much to inhale and get into our lungs. Other things that can be vaped are things like THC or CBD, things in the marijuana plant. So those are also um, some things that can be vaped. Okay. So you said that flavors are normally the number two reason why. I'm assuming the number one reason is the is the desire for nicotine. Is yes, that, absolutely. Okay. Right. Yes. Just, just want to make sure it wasn't the additives that were, you know, selling people on vaping. Uh, so there are people that'll say that this typically happens among users. There's no problem with vaping. It's just some flavors. You can get the flavors without having the nicotine in it, in it. Is that true? Will all e-cigarettes have some amount of nicotine along with the flavors? So you can just vape the flavors, but again, the, these flavors aren't really approved um, to be, you know, to do that. Now, when we eat these flavors, our gut can process many, many substances, but our lungs really can't. And they're not meant to be inhaled into the lungs. And as a matter of fact, the CDC did a study that found that 99% of the e-cigarettes that they tested that are sold in the United States contain nicotine. So even ones that are marketed as containing 0% nicotine, which is pretty disturbing. So just so I understand, there are e-cigarettes that are marketed saying, hey, look, this is just a flavor, no nicotine in it. They actually have nicotine in it? They may, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, So... Are there many regulations around e-cigarettes then and vaping? I mean, if something like that can sort of go undetected, um, it makes me feel like maybe the regulations aren't where they could be or they could be better. Am am I correct in saying that? So there's two things that come to mind when I think of regulations regarding these products. So one is that, you know, the FDA really did not um, get the ability to Um, regulate these products until 2016. So there's a lot of products out there on the market that have not been, these products haven't been tested for use. And there is a law that was passed called the Tobacco 21 law that went into effect in October 2019. And it did raise the age to purchase these products from 18 to 21. But surveys show that our kids are still getting access to these products. And another word on flavors, which we were talking about earlier, is that the FDA did enforce a policy that prohibits the sale of pre-filled cartridge e-cigarettes in any flavor other than tobacco or menthol. Because these products come in lots of flavors. It could be fruit. It could be mint, desserts like creme brulee. And these are all the flavors are believed to be primarily very appealing to our minors. So the FDA passed this um, enforcement policy that prohibits these other, fl- these you know, yummy sounding flavors from being on the market. But one thing with that is this is just applicable to the pre-filled cartridges. So this does not apply to sort of the open tank products, which you, know, you can just buy an empty e-cigarette and fill it up with whatever flavor, with whatever amount of nicotine, those are all still available. You know, these vape shops are popping up everywhere. It's like convenience stores. Like they're just, you know, like I just Googled vape and here were all the locations on my Google map. And there's actually one right on my way um, here to work. So I just wanted to see what they had um, available and it looked very enticing. And you go in there and there's just all these 
you know, incense and all these cool looking, you know, hookah pipes and everything. So I just thought I would just go in and see what, you know, what they had available. I mean, we have this Tobacco 21 law and, you know, kids aren't supposed to, you know, legally have access to these. So I just kind of wanted to see what their environment was like and what they had available. So I went in there and really it blew my mind just how many types of products are there, how many different flavors and how you can just kind of totally customize the solutions to however you want with various strengths of nicotine pretty easily. Now, I also try to go online to see if I could like order one of these and how that went. And I was able to design my own vape juice. Um, but there were quite a bit of shipping restrictions on online purchases, which is a good thing. Um, my local vape shop guy did tell me that you know, he had a hard time getting products shipped to him. And if he wanted to have anything in his store, he had to go to a warehouse and pick it up. He was not able to get things shipped to him directly. So, but he did add that, you know, I can get whatever I wanted from him. But um, so that's good. I thought that that was good that, you know, there are more online restrictions on these products than there were before. So maybe that can limit access somewhat, but you know, our kids are still getting a hold of these products. All right, so from my understanding, the form that these uh, vapes or e-cigarettes can take varies. Like I've seen them where they look like big old school microphones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so can you tell me a little bit about what they look like, what your parents be looking for, um, what are the different pieces involved with those? Sure. So no matter the shape and size, again, they all do the same thing. And the product availability landscape of these devices has really evolved over time. These products entered the U.S. market in 2007, and there have sort of been several generations of these products. So the very first products really had the look of the classic cigarette, what we think of as, you know, when we think cigarette, like the picture that comes to mind. And those products were not rechargeable. They came with this pre-filled amount of liquid. And now here we are a few years into it, a few generations into it, and we're now sort of in the fourth generation of these products. And these are very sleek devices now. They look like a USB or a pen or an inhaler or a key fob. They're now refillable, they're rechargeable. You can customize the solutions that go into it. There are hundreds of these products on the market. I will again add that none of these have ever been tested by the FDA because the FDA did not gain authority over regulating e-cigarettes until August 2016. And by then, many of these products are already on the market. And in terms of what it's made of, there's sort of, while they can look different, they all have a similar structure of four main components. The first being just the mouthpiece to inhale it. So you suck on it to activate the product. Number two is the power source. And this is usually a lithium ion battery. And it's usually the largest portion of these e-cigarettes. The third is a heating element. It's also called an atomizer, and it usually consists of a heating coil that heats the liquid into the aerosol. And lastly is the solution reservoir. So this is usually where the vape juice, e-liquid, e-juice, that's usually where this is contained. And the liquid, again, in these devices usually but not always contains nicotine, and it can have the flavors, it can have additives like propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin, and um, sometimes THC or, C or CBD. 
And these can all be customized for the user's experience. Like if you want a bigger cloud, you would add more vegetable glycerin. If you want the flavor to be really enhanced, you would add more propylene glycol. So they can really just be customized for the user's preference. It, when you're describing this, some of the parts, and I'm, I, particularly with the vape juice and the additives that go in there, it sounds so familiar to this idea that cigarettes aren't just tobacco there's also a bunch of stuff in there that can that can harm your your body is that the sort of thing that we're thinking about when we're talking about each cigarettes it's not just the nicotine it's all this other stuff that goes in there that really shouldn't be uh inhaled that is is that part of the issue yeah sure so you know again these flavors are okay to eat but they are not meant to be inhaled um in addition the propylene glycol that's in these additives, when it's pyrolyzed and heated, it can form formaldehyde, which you may have heard about, and the glycerin can make something called acrolein when that's heated. So all of these things are then here in the air above us and can be inhaled, and those are very harmful to our lungs. So in addition to these ingredients not being approved or safe to be inhaled, you are now exposed to some additional uh, downstream chemicals that these are, you know, transformed to when they're heated. And, you know, one important thing to mention is that really with these, what goes in isn't necessarily what comes out. So, you know, we talked about formaldehyde and acrolein, but there've also been some ultrafine particles that have been found in these aerosols, volatile organic compounds, things like toluene and benzene. Some of these are known carcinogens, so they can cause cancer and some heavy metals have been found things like lead, cadmium, uh, tin, nickel. I mean, these are all things that, you know, we try to avoid, right, in our daily lives. And and um, these are all been found in the air of, of vapors. I think you convinced me not to uh, try vaping when you mentioned formaldehyde. Uh, my only association with formaldehyde is when you're embalming bodies is that the same formaldehyde yes, that we're talking yes, about exactly mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah i don't want to smoke that at all that sounds awful so some people who you know are really proponents of using e-cigarettes and saying you know hey this is harmless water vapor it's very important to note that this is not harmless water vapor the aerosol that you know users breathe out have harmful substances again primarily nicotine or THC or CBD, depending on what kind of vape pen you're using, these ultrafine particles. And some other serious chemicals have been found, things like diacetyl, which has been linked to serious lung disease and popcorn workers. And the heavy metals we talked about, volatile organic compounds, cancer-causing chemicals. So the other important thing to note about this is that the aerosol that the users exhale is exposing both themselves to that, but also to bystanders to these harmful substances. And I think that that's something that, you know, users don't necessarily think about. I see. So, yeah, that I haven't heard that. I, of course, when it comes to traditional cigarettes, I've heard of secondhand smoke, but never in terms of vaping in e-cigarettes. In fact, that was presumably one of the quote-unquote selling points for something like that. But you're saying that's not true. You can still get secondhand uh, effects from someone that's nearby smoking those. Yes, absolutely. Oh. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about kids. The substances that are 
in e-cigarettes, are they, I mean, clearly they're harmful just in general, but is there additional harm on top of, uh, on top of that when it comes to kids and teens just because they're still developing? And if so, can you kind of talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So the U.S. Surgeon General calls vaping among our youth a public health epidemic. So I think while as a society we've done a good job with reducing cigarette smoking among our youth, we have a long way to go with these products that can have much, much higher levels of nicotine than cigarettes. And um, while the Tobacco 21 law has gone into effect in October 2019, raising the age to be able to purchase these products from 18 to 21, surveys show that kids are still getting access to these products. There is a Monitoring the Future survey study that's done by the University of Michigan, which is a continuing study of our American youth, where they surveyed thousands of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders to really understand um, drug use patterns. And their self-reported surveys show that vaping use is increasing at a record pace among our adolescents. So from 2017 to 2019, those numbers more than doubled. Now in 2020, it looks like the data is at somewhat of a halt, but as with anything else that was affected with COVID, so was the survey. So the survey had to be paused in March. So we only have about 30% or so of the study data for 2020. And, but that data shows, though, that in the past year, in 2020, 19% of 8th graders, 35% of 10th graders, and 39% of 12th graders have vaped. They vaped something, whether it's nicotine, whether it's flavors, whether it's THC in the last year. And those numbers are slightly lower than 2019. And is this because, you know, we were all home, they couldn't, you know, go out and get it from friends, or they weren't sharing, you know, vapes, but... It doesn't really bring me, you know, too much comfort, though, to see this somewhat of a halt because bottom line is, you know, halting is not reversing and e-cigarette use continues to remain at epidemic levels in the U.S. And it really shows that even in a pandemic, our young people continue to have access to these products despite the Tobacco 21 law. And I think nicotine and teens is just it's a terrible combination. It's a highly addictive substance. It activates the brain reward circuit. It motivates us to use it again and again. And nicotine can harm the developing adolescent brain because our brain keeps developing until we're about the age of 25. So using nicotine in adolescents can harm the part of the brain that controls our attention, learning, mood, impulse control, you know, all of those things that we don't want harmed in our youth. One of the things you mentioned it just now was about COVID and it's difficult to have any sort of health centered conversation these days without sort of talking about the effects it may have or the effects that COVID may have on whatever that health health outcome is. Is there any sort of compounded uh, concern when it comes to vaping and COVID? Yeah, we're still trying to understand the link between COVID and vaping, but there have been some studies done in this regard. And we definitely know that, you know, COVID is a transmissible uh, disease and sharing vaping devices can increase that risk of transmission. And we know that COVID-19 can be transmitted via droplets and vaping might be a means of spreading it. 
We talked about how this is an aerosol. So a damaged lung is just going to have a harder time recovering than a healthy lung from COVID-19. So I think really nothing good can come from mixing this global pandemic of COVID with the youth vaping epidemic. That's a really good point. Now, Dr. Goder Miller, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I didn't tell my parents everything. <laughs> Who does? Who does, right? Um, and if I was doing something like vaping, I definitely wouldn't have told them. So how can parents sort of pick up on these signs? Are there signs? Are there things that parents should maybe be on the lookout for when it comes to uh, vaping? New these products are very interesting to kids. Um, in a survey done, adolescents were asked, like, why do they use it? And the number one reason was to see what it's like, which makes sense. You know, that's they want to, they're curious and want to know. But other answers were because it tastes good, or they want to have a good time, or feel good, or boredom were listed as some of the reasons. But it was also listed that you know some of their family members use it. So all these angles. Um, these are all angles we can use to combat the problem and kind of gives us insight into their behavior. But, you know, going back to kind of, you know, not really telling parents everything, you know, I mean, these are very concealable products, right? Like we're not going to know that the USB that they have plugged into their laptop is a vape. Um, so they look very harmless and they, you know, don't necessarily look like traditional cigarettes and it comes in these good flavors and emit really good fragrances. So we can detect that what we think of as that, you know, kind of disgusting cigarette smell on them to hide. And really what's alarming to me is that since 2014, e-cigarettes are the most common tobacco product used among our youth. One thing is that it has been noted that certain flavors are more associated with adolescent use. So fruit, candy, and sort of the non-traditional tobacco flavors. And surveys show that these flavors are more likely to be vaped. So again, earlier this year, a ban was announced that these fruit and candy and mint uh, yummy sounding flavors will be uh, banned from small cartridge-based e-cigarettes because it's typically those cartridge-based e-cigarettes that are popular among high school and middle school students. But again, the flavors will be available though in the refillable products that, where you can just buy an empty vape pen and fill it. And um, the menthol and tobacco flavored products will be allowed to remain on the market as is for now. Can parents look for any sort of behavior changes, um, anything like that? I mean, I know you work on uh, the poison hotline. Like, do you sort of hear like, hey, you know, I noticed this was going on with my kid and then, you know, I found out this happened. Um, yeah, so definitely looking for things like mood swings. I think that's a big one with, with this. and just, you know, withdrawing, not wanting to really, you know, talk about it. And I think these are hard conversations to have as a parent. And, you know, I'm a parent, and I think you're a parent. And, you know, I think we all have different parenting styles. But one thing that holds us all, I think the commonality that we all share is that we care deeply about the health and safety of our children. So just having the conversation, understanding the facts, there's several, you know, resources available, just understanding the facts, using science, open communication and honesty, and just talking to your kids. And I think that, yes, we definitely want to talk to them if we suspect it, but I think that 
prevention is key, right? If we can stop this from happening. So having the conversation early, earlier than you think, earlier than, you know, before you would say suspected, just having that open conversation and, you know, just using reachable moments, things like someone walks by and, you know, they are, you know, you notice somebody's vaping and be like, hey, did you see that? And what do you think? And just kind of having that conversation. And of course, they're going to be like, why don't you want me to vape? Or, you know, just using, hey, I care about your well-being. Here are the facts. This is what the science shows. And just having that open, honest conversation. Using your resources, things like a counselor or people like our counselor or healthcare professional to, um, you know, bounce things off of. Because, again, these are, these are tough conversations to have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What are some of the things that parents can say if they find out, like, oh, wow, my kid is vaping, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is what's going on? Yeah, so just knowing about the health harms. And I will say that some e-cigarettes have the equivalent of a whole pack of a traditional cigarette. I mean, that's that's a scary thought. Um, so, again, the adolescent brain development continues until age 25, and the e-cigarettes can certainly harm that. And... Nicotine is a very addicting substance. It is a neurotoxin. It can cause mood disorders, permanent lowering of our impulse control, and harm the parts of the brain that we care about a lot, the control learning and attention. And as a clinical toxicologist, we deal a lot with exposures and toxicity with these products. So acute toxicity effects tend to be things like mild nausea, but it can be as severe as seizures or you know, even death. In terms of the chronic health effects of e-cigarettes, this is something that we are still learning. Um, but what we do know is that the odds of initiating traditional cigarettes is much higher in e-cigarette users. Other things that come to mind are there have been case reports of these batteries exploding. So, and the injury can resemble a high-speed crash. There have been cases of broken teeth and jaw while using the vape pen when the pen has just exploded during use or in the pocket. There's been at least one death reported in the literature from explosion. And another kind of unique harm that comes to mind with these e-cigarettes was uh, we started noticing that back in 2019, there was a start of several hospitalizations across all states and several deaths were reported in e-cigarette users. And later on, when we went back and looked at the data, it really was something that was linked to e-cigarette use. This outbreak was later termed E-Valley or e-cigarette vaping associated lung injury. And these were later traced back to cigarettes, e-cigarettes containing THC and perhaps a contaminant called vitamin E acetate. And that was something that was linked to these E-Valley outbreaks. So again, there've been several deaths associated with this use, and this is something the CDC has been keeping track of. And I will say these are all very significant risks and health harms for our adolescents or really any user of any age, but I'll add that this is an avoidable risk. This is something that we as a community can partner together and be more educated on and help and avoid these risks from happening. What programs are there for teens or for parents that want to want to help their kid uh, quit vaping or, or quit smoking e-cigarettes? Well, I'll add that, you know, sometimes people think that using an e-cigarette might be a good way of quitting regular cigarettes. But I will add that, I mean, these products have nicotine and they're designed for addiction. So 
using these as a substitute to quit regular cigarettes, first of all, should not be the way to go. But um, yes, there are several resources and organizations set up to help with um, this epidemic. One is the Truth Initiative, which is a public health initiative, which gives facts on vaping and engages groups to make changes in their community. The American Lung Association has a program where they have facts and conversation guide for families. There is another um, organization called Ohio My Life My Quit, and this is a confidential setting for teens who are wanting to quit vaping, and they can use their phones because we know our teens love to use our phones and just use, you know, texting versus picking up a phone and calling somebody. So they have a confidential service where teens can get help for their vaping addiction or cigarette addiction. And the Surgeon General has a fact sheet, uh, fact sheet with tips to, you know, talk to our kids about this. And I will add that, you know, here we are at the Poison Control Center. We are available 24-7, and we are more than happy to help you with your questions, whether it's just a simple question that you're wanting to understand more about its dangers or there's been an exposure and you want to know how to manage it, whether you're at home, whether it's at school, whether you're in a hospital setting and you have a patient there at your table, and if you'd like to understand more and would like help, we're always here, always available to answer those questions. Our Poison Center can be reached at 1-800-222-1222, and all these links will be available and linked to this podcast. Do you get a lot of calls about vaping at the Poison Center? We do get uh, quite a bit of calls. So since about 2011, poison control centers have been very concerned about these products and exposures to both the e-cigarettes and the liquid nicotine. And again, this is because the concentration of nicotine in these products are just so much higher than the calls we used to get on nicotine, things like chewing tobacco or regular cigarette perhaps. Nationally, about 50% of calls to poison control centers for e-cigarettes are in kids less than or equal to five years old. That, to me, is a very scary thought. So typical exposure call that we get on the poison center is usually for a child who gets a hold of a product that, say, may be left out, whether it's the e-cigarette, whether it's the vape juice, and they suck on it, you know, drink some of it. They're tasty, right? Like, they're these flavored products. So they drink it, and then they may start with vomiting, and then parent calls us. So that's a very typical call that we would get. So they may have ingested it. They may have spilled it on their skin. They may have gotten it in their eye, and now they're crying. So, you know, sometimes parents will call us about things like that. So that's a typical exposure call. Um, and, you know, these symptoms can happen to anyone of any age, but the risk is greater in our children just, you know, due to their size. Now, hospitals call us, so this might be on how to manage a case if they needed to go in. So once that child had gotten too much and we triaged and said, hey, this is too much, and the child needs to be seen in the ED setting, so the hospital is now calling us, and they want to know, okay, so what labs do I need to get? What tests do I need to run? How long do I need to watch? What do I need to watch for? So those are all typical questions that come to us from, a, from hospitals and healthcare teams. So we consult with them and provide those management guidelines. So there are 55 poison control centers in the U.S., and we answer thousands of calls related to whether it's tobacco or e-cigarettes and chewing tobacco and such. But I did look up some numbers, and as of June 30th, 2021, so just this year, poison control centers have managed 2,482 exposure cases about e-cigarette devices and liquid nicotine alone. All right, Dr. Goldermiller. Final thoughts on vaping and e-cigarettes for today. 
So I think it's going to take a village, as they say, to reverse the vaping epidemic in our youth. So we'd like to be part of your village. We would love to help if you have a question that you would like answered about vaping or e-cigarettes or nicotine or THC, give us a call. If there's been an accidental exposure or an intentional exposure, first time user experiencing symptoms, um, you know, give us a call. If you are a healthcare professional who has a patient and you want to know more, you know, certainly give us a call. We are an interdisciplinary team of medical toxicologists, clinical toxicologists, pharmacists, nurses, EMTs, and paramedics. We work on the 24-7 hotline. We have experience in understanding the effects of these products. You can give us a call, whether you're at home, whether you're a teacher or you're a social worker and you've encountered this with one of your clients, certainly give us a call. We'd be more than happy to help provide information and resources and management guidelines. Our number again is 1-800-222-1222. Give us a call. All right, thank you. Well. I know I've learned a lot today. Dr. Godemiller, I want to thank you again for your time today. Thank you for listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 13. This episode was recorded on August 24, 2021. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco. This episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us next week on the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.